live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, welcome in on a Monday morning, December 12, 2022. It is 6.09. We've got 35 degrees in the capital city. And ready to start a new week. Two more full weeks before Christmas is here. And uh, we'll take you there together over the next couple of weeks. And uh, glad, got a good show for you today. Uh, it is a Monday morning. Only guest today is going to be uh, Dirk Chatlin during the 8 o'clock hour. So we'll look forward to hearing from him. Talk a little Nebraska football, Nebraska basketball, uh, perhaps Nebraska volleyball, too. So we'll jump into that at 8.35 today. The rest of the time is ours to jump into the things that are going on in and around the capital city here this weekend and making news. Uh, I will, uh, so far, I think it's um, it's working, but uh, my voice, as you might be able to hear i don't know how much you can hear it but it is uh not in a great spot right now um, calling birds got you huh? yeah that is i'm fine i'm one of the few people i feel like around me that isn't sick right now but sounds uh, like you got uh two turtle doves in there i uh that that is what you're hearing is a combination of uh a saturday spent uh yelling at basketball officials <laughs> and a sunday spent singing christmas carols uh, at both of them at full volume, and yes, that's just a typical so, December weekend. Just a for typical you. December weekend, <laughs> spreading holiday cheer in various ways. Really, <laughs> if you uh, if you think about it. So I apologize for uh, my voice not quite being a hundred percent. Just need an extra day, I think, to recover from a busy weekend of using it extensively. Uh, but yeah, we, I want to thank everybody real quick here, uh, who came out and, uh, did the caroling yesterday. Uh, we had, I never got a head count there. Um, I want to say we probably had a group of about 30 people. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. probably about where we were. Um, traveled around town. Thanks to, thanks to Windstar. Um, had a great driver yesterday and, uh, took us around the city, put him in some, you know, some challenging spots to get a bus into an area been there done that yeah you you know you know what that's like mark um but uh, our driver did a a great job yesterday and he was very kind throughout the entire thing and uh, we had a we had a whole lot of fun uh making making kind of a ruckus various places we went we i mean we had, we had some stories that came out of this whole thing um we went first off we took the bus from here to Brian LGH East, and we uh, sang at Brian LGH East. Brian East. Uh, uh, Brian E. Oh, my gosh. I'll never get it right. I'm sorry, Brian. Uh, but we thank you for letting us uh, be there. Um, and, and just kind of went by the uh, – we sat and uh, sat. We stood in, in a little grassy area by uh, the plaza entrance there, which is the, the entrance that's open at that time. And uh, uh, and then you had you had kind of employees that were going in and out of the other door, and then we had people going in and out of the hospital, and so we we sang that. It is always interesting because, as is often the case, when you take people out, take a bunch of people out, and sing Christmas carols, the first re- re- reaction for a lot of people is, okay, I'm going to videotape this these these strangers that are singing right now. 
Um, and so I'm always interested what people do with those videos. Wait, where do you post that? Do, you go, do you go back and, and uh, listen to your family? I mean, I don't care if you did it. I mean, it made us feel like we were doing something, so I appreciated <laughs> that. Uh, but that was kind of funny. Um, and then... And then now I, I, I want to preface my next story by um, by not I, I'm, I am not telling this story to, to critique anyone uh, or anything like that. Uh, it was it was just a miscommunication. But our next stop was uh, was South Point Pavilions. And, you know, we thought, OK, it's going to be a it's going to be a busy time. You know, people people doing shopping on a weekend. And we thought we, we just wanted to find some place we could get in front of people, people who might kind of uh, want to be in the holiday mood. And so we thought South Point might be a good place to do that. Um, and so we, you know, as you should do when you do something like this, you're going into someone's private property to do this. You you call ahead and you say, hey, would it be OK if we we did this? And. So we we did that, uh, Maria from from uh, from KLIN or from Broadcast House, our promotions director, did that and got everything okayed with their um, their management, or so we thought. Uh, but we so we walk around the outside and and uh, you know kind of catch people coming to the stores. Then we go into that main sort of square area that they have at South Point. They have that circular stage. You probably have been there and and know what I'm talking about. And we went uh, up there, and so we uh, we sang in the the stores around uh, around. We're like, oh, this is cool. We it, one of the stores said we're going to open our doors up just because we want to be able to hear this in our store so we, we were opening that up and we had uh, families with kids kind of gathering around and um and so it was cool and everything seemed to be going well and then we had a uh, a security guard approach us <laughs> said <laughs> said uh to some of the people i said who's who's in charge here who's who's uh who's leading this whole thing up and when well that was me um so we're they're singing uh christmas songs very loudly at south point and drawing a little bit of a crowd there and he's like i'm sorry you guys have to leave <laughs> and i was like what wait why what and he said you got you've got, got a call from my manager you can't you can't you can't be here you can't do this and i said well we got you know we got permission to do this and he said from who and i said i I don't know. <laughs> I, I was Man, I was just told we're okay. And I was like, I can, I can, uh, I can make a call or make a text and tell you, but I don't know off the top of my head. And he said, here, why don't you talk to my, my manager? And he hands me this flip phone that he has and mind you. Okay. I am in, we're in the middle of this thing, people watching and this group of 30 carolers belting out Christmas songs. <laughs> I mean, I'm right in the middle of it, right in earshot, and so I get on the horn with this uh, with this manager who was working there. Everybody was just doing their job, um, and and I I said, uh, hey, we uh, you know we got the okay to be here. Apparently, he had not had that passed on to him. I was not able to tell him at that time yet who we had gotten permission from, and so it sounded. To him, like I was just making crap up. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It's somebody, uh, somebody else. I was like, I could find out. I don't know. I'm, I was like, we signed a waiver. I know. I mean, I'm, we did all this, and 
And he, he was like, I can't let you just, you know, you can't just come in here and do this. And I was like, yeah, I know we wouldn't have. We didn't we didn't think we were. And so I'm sitting here uh, negotiating the ability for this group of people who's singing, uh, who's, who's uh, singing a song, singing Christmas songs that we're like, here comes Santa Claus going on in the background <laughs> and me at doing some high level negotiations with them all to keep us there. Uh, I'll put the ransom out for you. In the, in the, in the end, in the end, uh, I finally said, I'm like, look, I'm not going <laughs> to. Like I'm not gonna make you call the police to get us out or anything here. I was like, we'll we'll leave. I was like, but I th- I think it's okay that we're here. I'm pretty sure it's it's okay. And I said, just so you know, when we walk out, we'll probably keep singing. <laughs> and and so I finished the whole thing up, and I'm like, fine, we'll leave. We'll get out of here. I don't want to cause a you know a real problem. And uh and i'm I'm just gonna let them finish the song that they started and then we'll get out because they were you know they kept going in the background the entire time because people were enjoying it and uh and they were just starting a song i was like all right let's let's finish this song i'm like hey what what song did you well i didn't say i could hear it uh what song song you guys started and they just started the 12 days of christmas Like, we're gonna be here as long as I'm like, as you've got to be kidding me. That's when you're starting the 12 days of Christmas, and so I uh, I say, okay, guys, I'm trying to get their attention while they're like five golden rings for. I'm like, guys, we gotta we gotta move out of here so they don't call the police on us, which would be a hilarious thing. Uh, and and so we finally get us moving out. Uh, That's two years in a row. Moving out of the place in different places. And I almost, I we almost get. So we 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 start moving toward. We had our bus waiting for us by Barnes and Noble. So we start moving out that way, and then all of a sudden, this security guard comes up. Uh, probably took about thirty seconds. The security guard. I had finally texted uh, the people here that I needed to, and I was like, "Hey, here's what's happening." I'm like. I I don't know what to tell them, and uh, our our colleague Maria, who does a great job here, uh, she was coming back from out of town, so I was bothering her on her uh, on her you know kind of away weekend, and she had quickly somehow found the 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 contact that she had talked to, contacted that person, who then got back to the person who was on site, and the security guard chases us down, and he's like he's like I'm sorry. You can be here. <laughs> and I still got the dang 12 days of Christmas going on with this entire group that is walking toward the parking lot. And I'm like, I'm like, I appreciate that. I was like, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to get this group like herding cats back here in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas to get back to the middle. So we made our way back to the bus at Barnes and Noble and loaded it up. But as i was as as i was sitting there on the phone negotiating the ability to sing christmas songs uh, in a mall which by the way that was set up like a like a total like winter wonderland type thing if you've been uh-huh. there they've got these big presents and christmas ornaments and and decorations and all these things i was like this feels like the beginning of a hallmark movie <laughs> <laughs> like the the Hallmark movie where you're talking about the uh, the 
the, the mall owner who is uh, who is trying to keep people from singing Christmas songs that eventually gets reformed and decides Christmas is okay after all and finds love along the way too. <laughs> <laughs> so we we did get out. It was just a miscommunication, um, and so everything was fine. But then we moved on uh, through our day. But we did. We had another cool experience, guys, in this whole thing. Uh, we went. Uh, we we thought it would be kind of a cool photo op to go on the steps of the Capitol and sing. And and by the way, we got out there and I was like, guys, the good news is uh, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure uh, since the Capitol they can't kick us off the Capitol steps. People do every this is a this is a public forum here. We're not going to get kicked off of. Uh, but we realized they had just lit the Capitol Christmas tree inside Ooh. inside that day. So we were like, wait. If they've got the tree up there, we would sound so good because we had been walking around and singing into the wind, which was not, you know, even though we had great singers, not the best acoustic situation. And so we said, let's see if we can go in the Capitol. <laughs> so, so we get up there. It's like 450 and they close. We get in there and doors are open. So we just go in and the security guards like, whoa. this is not what i was expecting right now he's 30 people in santa hats and light up christmas tree necklaces and uh reindeer antlers coming in and he was like he was like guys we close the doors in 10 minutes and we're like that's okay we'll be fast (laughs) so we hightail it up to the rotunda area uh, where they had set up the Christmas tree and where apparently they had just had a wedding. So it was all set up with like risers and chairs nice. and everything else. And we like, we were like, okay, this is going to be really cool if we can sing up here. So we got in there, Rotunda, and like sped sang like uh, at high tempo three Christmas songs. <laughs> uh it and we did sound awesome in there by the way as you could expect that was a that was a much better acoustic situation and and then it's like 458 we're like all right we're leaving we're 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 getting out of here so we felt like the like outlaw carolers and yes you're right caleb last year we were at another retail store and they were not super thrilled that we were there either and so i don't know like I'm afraid my caroling group is going to get on the most wanted list here in Lincoln pretty soon. It's a funny list to be part of with a caroling group, right? <laughs> um, so Do you guys want to join the outlaw carol? Right, right. Like next year, I think we're, they're going to have like uh, most wanted signs around town. Jack Mitchell mob we're boss illegally spreading Christmas cheer. Going to dress up like we're characters in Red Dead Redemption and. <laughs> Uh, but no, everything was fine after that. And, uh, we got the bus. We went downtown, went to the tower square and went to Haymarket, and, and, uh, then came home. So I want to thank everybody who was part of that, but that was, that was quite the unique experience yesterday. So, <laughs> um, Hey, Mark, uh, weather situation, uh, what's going on here? Are we, I don't know. are we getting, well, it looks, <laughs> no, we're going to get wet. I, hey, I did my show prep. I read the sheet. Yes. I read the sheet. We, got, we're we're going to get wet. Okay. We're going to get wet because we're still highs in the forties the today and highs fifties tomorrow. So, and that's when most of the rain's going to hit tonight and tomorrow. Uh, could get half to an inch around here. At least that's the forecast. Get the latest maps posted at KLIN.com. Uh, but not too far away from us, uh, expecting some significant snows. This thing kind of cutting the state right in half. Okay. Yeah, I saw the snow map, and they actually had 
um, Lincoln in, in the, let's see, let me pull it up right now. This is the snow potential um, that this is through, this is through Thursday night. Um, so this goes the entire week, but uh, traced to two inch, t- two inches in Lincoln. Now, I'm not sure exactly when that would fall. Um, maybe in the overnight hours, Which two, map Tuesday are you into Wednesday. Uh, this is actually ten uh, eleven. Have put this one out. Uh, Brad Anderson put this one out. Okay, so I'm looking at his. Um, but that, oh, the, the National Weather Service isn't calling for any snow here. Okay, so it's we're on, right on the edge, Trace yeah. two inches. Uh, but man, I'm looking out. I'm looking. You know, the west end of the state. Mark and uh, they're talking two feet <laughs> there. Yeah. I mean, Scotts Bluff, uh, Shadron. They've got they've got they're in the purple in Shadron with sixteen plus inches there and high winds. Yeesh! All right, so high, high winds in the uh, Panhandle are are pretty normal, but even that with that much snow is going to be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. So temperatures will kind of be where they've been. They cool off a little bit at the end of the week, but Mark, next week. Uh, next week, it looks like the cold's yep. back. The real cold is back. As a matter of fact, to Shadron and Panhandle has a blizzard warning in effect as of 5 o'clock mountain time this afternoon. Okay. And it goes until uh, for two over two days. Jeez. All right. Uh, but looks like our uh, snowless streak, knock on wood here, is going to continue for a little while. But we'll see. We'll get Ken Dewey on in the next few days, and he can... Tell us what we're looking at here in the terms of the possibility of a white Christmas and travel forecasts and all those things as well. So there you go. All right. We will grab a break. It is 626. You are listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Love KLIN? Tell us why with a voice message in the free KLIN app. A look at news from both inside and outside of Lincoln and conversation on how that news affects us here. It's time for the sound off on LNK Today. Woo. All right, welcome back. Glad to have you. Uh, glad to have you with us here. Hey, a couple of things before we start with the sound off that I would like to draw your attention to at klin.com. Uh, we have uh, a sweepstakes going on at klin.com. We are calling it "Have Yourself a Money Little Christmas." Ooh. Yes, a little we, cash contest. We are. Uh, yeah, I, we are. Uh, Giving you, and this is your last day to get in on this, and I uh, only mentioned it a couple of times, so I want to make sure and draw attention to it now. Uh, KLIN.com, uh, you can get signed up for the sweepstakes where somebody's going to win $15,000 cash so you can have yourself a money little Christmas. <laughs> so check that out at KLIN.com. You've got until um, midnight tonight. So you have just a little over 12 hours to get yourself signed up for that. And then the other thing that I, I did want to mention as well is that our holiday market is still going. I know if you guys are anything like me, like I've got a list today, uh, my things to do list um, given to me by my wife and my daughter of gift certificates that I need to pick up around town uh, for gifts for, you know, teachers and coworkers and um, all of those, all of those things. Uh, if if you find yourself, and I think a lot of people do, find yourself in a spot where um, you've got some little gifts like that, where gift certificates might be a good thing, and you're like, I, I want to keep trying to 
to support local businesses here in town. Great way for you to do it. Go to KLIN.com, and we've got the holiday market up where um, we basically are, are – you can get gift certificates that are up to 50% off. So if you were going to get a gift certificate anyway – uh, you'd, you'd be well served to get them here because you're going to get a great deal on them. Um, some of the businesses that we've got still available right now, if you would like to get in on this, uh, Amazing Lash Studio, Make It Take It. Uh, that's a great um, That one's a lot of fun make for my take daughter. It. Yep, my daughter love uh, that one. always loved that too. Uh, Greenfields, uh, great food there at Greenfields. Uh, Maze Gourmet Popcorn and Ice Cream. Uh, that place is really cool. They sell you, you can get refillable, what look like paint buckets of popcorn that you can just bring in and they'll fill it up with all these different kinds of popcorn. They're awesome. Uh, Harbor Coffee House over there at Piedmont, uh, Maker's Nail and Spa, uh, or if you want to, somebody who enjoys their, uh, their adult beverages, uh, we got, uh, Cerro Cider as well. Uh, which is a really cool place near downtown Lincoln. So just wanted to give you a heads up if you're, if you're like me and you're looking for getting those gift certificates, getting those gifts for, you know, the, the people around you. Uh, that is a great place to look at right now. And so you can click on the ornaments on that page and find yourself some really good, really good individual deals from local businesses. All right. Just helping you out with that holiday shopping. Just, uh, just trying to do my part there. Uh, all right. Sound off time. Uh, all right. Let's get into the things that are making news this morning in our country and world. Um, response coming in. We had this story, obviously, and, and everybody did last week. Brittany Griner and the prisoner swap Brittany Griner back in the United States now. They brought her back to San Antonio. Um, but some questions about the prisoner swap decision by the United States. Should they have gotten more with this? And uh, is this provide an incentive if you pay the ransom, so to speak, for something like this to happen again? The White House still defending its decision here, saying that they did try. They made the efforts to try to get Paul out. But really, they said there was no avenue to get him out of Russia and here back home. They say that Russia uh, was never open to handing him over in this prisoner swap because of the espionage charges against him. The 52-year-old veteran is serving a sentence until 2036. Democrats Democrats say presidents from both parties have had to authorize tough trades over the years, but Republicans say handing over the man once dubbed the merchant of death and leaving Paul behind was a terrible deal. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the the United States is saying, well, we you know, that was not something that was on the table, so we had to get what we could get. There are critics who are saying uh, you should have gotten something better given um, given the scenario and given that you've got somebody, uh, somebody else there, a uh, former military man, uh, who is, who is in captivity still and who is serving that ridiculous sentence, as is always seems to be the case in Russia. And so we'll see if there are further efforts. Do you still have the, the pieces, the chips, so to speak? Is there, are there other prisoners here? Is there something else that you can negotiate that release for Paul Whalen for? Um, but the White House, it, and, and for, I mean, it feels like you you have to, if you do have the pieces to to go after him to 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 bring him back, 
it's it's going to have to be something that's a higher piece than the merchant of death, right? Yeah, which sounds like a high bar. I mean, yeah. I mean, all uh, we gave them the merchant of death, and and we got back, you know, somebody who was obviously not going to be, uh, <laughs> you know, somebody who uh, allegedly had a a vape cartridge, mm-hmm. right? I mean, with the whole thing. So, so I think people are looking at that and they're saying, you, the crimes did not line up. I know you wanted to get her back, and it, it she should have, she should have been back, and it was obviously she wasn't getting a fair shake there uh, with things, but. Yeah, the 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 level of seriousness. Um, she doesn't, you know, pose any kind of a a violence situation risk to to anyone in Russia. But nonetheless, uh, but she is uh, she is back, and I still I still I'm sure at some point here in the next week or two, somebody's going to land that first interview just to try and hear about what it was actually like being. Um, being convicted in in Russia and being in those jails and kind of what that whole mental battle was was like to go through that thing. Uh, also, I had this news at the end of last week and uh, continuing fallout over the weekend on the Sunday shows and beyond. Uh, Kristen Cinema in the Senate, uh, former Democrat, now switching to independent. And so just in terms of counting D's and R's, uh, that that does make it exactly, you know, and, and I don't know exactly what her situation is, how often she'll vote uh, on the Republican side as opposed to the Democrat side. You can kind of see what she's done in the past. Um, she and Manchin have been the ones that the Democrats have not uh, always had in their pocket for the votes that they got. Uh, and so a lot of discussion about that here this weekend. Democrats will still command a 51-49 majority. Sinema joins independents Bernie Sanders and Angus King, who caucus with the Democrats. Liberals hope Raphael Warnock's win in the Georgia runoff would give them breathing room, rather than always catering to moderates. Sinema provided a key vote to pass the Inflation Reduction Act and was central to engineering passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. But she bucked Democrats when it came to changing the filibuster. Republicans hope to court Sinema. All right. So... Yeah, maybe so, they'll flip her. I don't know. Maybe, but I don't think that's going to do a whole lot. I think it's good to have elected representatives that are not going to simply vote along party lines. Mm-hmm. That said, she's a lot of talk about being independent when she's voted with Democrats 94% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so, so, so there's, there's that side I, of it I, where it's, okay, I, I, I don't want to be part of the party. That's cool. You're still voting that way. I mean, it's... It, it's a little hard because you've got Democrats who are who are upset that she's yeah that that she in the end is what they think is is hurting a cause that they believe should or is closer to her heart than you know just making the switch but there's also a part of me that that sees the two-party system and and how it is and how locked in you've got to be one way or the other mm-hmm. all in um to that that it says eh, there's just a lot of people who don't feel that way there's a i mean there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that don't feel that way and it would make sense that there are some people in washington who don't feel that way either and it's not <laughs> frankly it just it doesn't feel like there's there's a home for those people anywhere yeah <laughs> for the vast majority there aren't candidates that try to appeal to them for the most part you're you know you it, you're looked at as a, a 
kind of a useless member of of the Senate mm-hmm. um, in Washington D.C. If you do that, and there's a part of me that wants that a little bit more normalized. That was you know that says, hey, you got a huge chunk of the American people that are just never represented really by either of the parties, especially the direction that they both seem to be going, frankly, to be honest. So you um, saw a lot of the same criticism that that cinema's getting that Ben Sass got. True. Yeah, where, that's where, actually where, a good one. Where ben, Called a rhino. Yeah, it was well he's rhino. he he's clearly not Republican enough. He's he went against Trump way too much, despite the fact that he voted with Trump ninety six percent of the time. Well and didn't you know, he even said a couple of times, um in kind of more in the middle of his career, where he said, I you know, I think about leaving the Republican Party every day and mm-hmm. and I hear that, whether it be in the Republican side or the Democrat side, and I was like, yeah, well, I, I completely understand why people feel that way. Right. But nonetheless, uh, they will go on, and uh, yes, still the still that slim majority, but it could make, I mean, the bottom line is it, it, it could, so you still have the majority in terms of having the committee chairs and those sorts of things, which is a huge piece of this. The part where it becomes iffy is you've got legislation that you are, you are splitting hairs on the vote, mm-hmm. trying to trying to get it there, and you've got a you can't have anybody defect, and she might be one that's even more likely to defect now, not being uh, actually having the D by her name. Uh, all right, what else do we have going on here? Uh, before Christmas, we should have this uh, this final report from the January sixth committee. As that whole thing wraps up, and with the leadership in the House changing. That is going to completely do away with that committee and everything that they've done. So they're trying to scramble and get the last bits of it done and put together here before the session ends. Committee member Adam Kinzinger, the Republican from Illinois, says that when the final report is issued, it will be more comprehensive than the public hearings the committee held in order to give Americans as much information as possible. It's not about, you know, we're putting anybody in jail. This is all about telling the American people about what happened. Kinziger on ABC's This Week Sunday. Fellow committee member Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California, says the decision on whether or not to recommend criminal charges will follow what he says is an obvious and logical path. I think we're all certainly in agreement that there is evidence of criminality uh, here, uh, and we want to make sure that the Justice Department is aware of that. Schiff speaking Sunday on CBS's Face the Nation. Kevin Uretsky, Fox News. And, and I guess the only thing I'll point out again, which I think I've done several times over the last few months when they've talked about this, is whether or not they recommend criminal charges is, for the most part, unimportant in in this whole thing that there seems to be a big focus on that but the justice department is going to make the decision what it's not i mean if they're doing their own investigation and they're trying to determine whether to go forward or not it's not like they're going to say well i don't know what to do what is the what does the january 6th committee think that we should do they don't need a blessing or a recommendation or being told not to do it to go either way. So it's just kind of cumulative, but I think they're probably going to trust their own eyes and ears. And there may be some that says, well, they're corrupt. So, you know, that that's going to be an issue. But either way, they're going to trust their own eyes and ears as much or more than a report that came from a committee that's kind of investigated some of the same things that they're investigating right now. Um, I I mean, the bigger part of it was that the information that came out of it that could be used in their own investigation and their own decision for this whole thing. Um, Okay, so this is, man, this is is crazy. I am uh, 
I'm old enough to just vaguely remember that, but some of you who are a little older than me probably remember 1988 and Pan Am 103. Um, and it was just, I mean, I remember it being a, a scary story when you were watching the news when I was, what, 11 years old on this. Um, but um, the Pan Am 103 blew up over Lockerbie 1988 and... Um, Libyan terrorists essentially behind it. A lot of years have passed, but they made another arrest in this in this case, in this infamous uh, plane hijacking in 1988, supposedly the man behind actually making the bomb to carry this out. Masood will be the only one out of three people charged in connection to the attack to stand trial in an American courtroom. Masood had been in prison in Libya for a separate sentence. It took two years of negotiations to get him here. The Department of Justice confirming that he had been taken into U.S. custody yesterday and that he will appear today in federal court. That is... 34 years, almost to the day that Pan Am Flight 103 headed to JFK Airport, exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland. Masood is accused of making the bomb. That attack on December 21st, 1988 killed 270 people, including 11 on the ground. 190 were Americans. Yeah. Um, yeah, 1988, it was about this time of year, as she she mentioned there, and the bomb had been planted on board. Um, it went down over Lockerbie, Scotland, and as she mentioned, um, not only were all of the people on board, 243 passengers, 16 crew, uh, died, but you also had it go down in a residential section in Lockerbie, and 11 people died from that deadliest terrorist attack in the history of the United King Kingdom, uh, deadliest aviation disaster as well, um, and they they so what happened basically is they went on a long investigation after that issued arrest warrants for libyan nationals in november 1991 it wasn't until the 1999 Gaddafi hands over the two men for trial at camp zeiss in the netherlands uh, after there were long negotiations and u.n sanctions um and then 2001 um, an intelligence officer, a Libyan intelligence officer, was jailed for life after being found guilty of 270 counts of murder in connection with the bombing. 2009, released by the Scottish government on compassionate grounds after he had prostate cancer, died in May 2012 from prostate cancer. That was the only person who was convicted up until this point, and now they've made another arrest in this uh whole thing. Gaddafi in 2003 accepted responsibility, paid compensation to the families of the victims, although he said he never gave the order from for the attack. So a old, an old story that has a very late chapter still being written on the whole thing. Uh, all right. Hey, the, uh, uh, the, the space launch that we had waited for here, we were hoping that was happening during the show so we could, uh, watch it. Uh, it is, uh, it, it did go up, not during the show, uh, but Artemis is on its way back home getting ready for the next moon landing. Let's see what they accomplished. This is the first of four Artemis missions this decade. The goal is building a human base camp 
on the moon and the hope of eventually reaching Mars in the late 2030s. So this is a stepping stone, returning to the moon 50 years after Apollo 11 in 1969. No humans aboard this craft, but there are three dummies that spent 26 days orbiting about 80 miles above the moon's surface, conducting several tests, one to measure radiation that future crews are going to face, much higher than the space station. The dummies are wired with about 5,000 sensors. One is wearing an anti-radiation vest. Mm. Fascinating. So they're going to build. They're going to build a camp on the moon. Uh, that's the plan, anyway. It's going to be interesting to see what each successive mission looks right. like. Right. Yeah, and how realistic this actually is. And then that's the, you know, the taking off point essentially. Then to get to Mars, if you extrapolate this thing out further to the future. But they do expect to have. Uh, Man uh, and, and probably woman on the moon uh, here within the next, I think, five years. They're going to do it again, mm-hmm. which will be fascinating when that happens again. Uh, all right, let's see. Well, let's see. We do a couple of here, lighter one here. Uh, blue. How about paying uh, hundreds of thousand dollars for a pair of blue jeans? Well, you do it only if you found maybe the first pair of blue jeans in history, and that may be happening this week. A pair of work pants pulled from a sunken trunk at an 1857 shipwreck off the coast of North Carolina, selling for $114,000. The big question, are we talking about the oldest known pair of jeans in the world? The white, heavy-duty miner's pants with a five-button fly were among 270 artifacts that recently sold for almost $1 million in Reno, Nevada. That wreck predates by 16 years the first pair of jeans officially manufactured by San Francisco-based Levi Strauss and Company in 1873. The company's historian telling the Associated Press that the pants are not Levi's and might not even be work pants. Paul Stevens, Fox News. What are you white? Doing? What are you doing with these? Wearing them. Definitely wearing them. Although they're button flies, which those got really popular for a while in the late 80s. Button flies. They came back and I never quite understood. What even is a button uh, like you just don't zip at all. It's just all yeah. Buttons? It's so it's like the top. You know the top thing when you fasten your jeans. It's a button uh-huh. instead of a zipper. It's got like five of those right down the crotch. That sounds awful. Yeah, I don't know why it became a thing. Oh my god! But it was like a popular thing for a while. I think I want to say like in the late eighties. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, Six fifty six. All right, we'll take a break. It's LNK today with Jack and friends on Lincoln's News and Talk fourteen hundred ninety nine three KLIN. Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at forty four. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, welcome back, 712 on this December 12, 2022. Glad to have you back with us. Well, my voice made it through one hour. One hour, and if you missed it earlier, uh, this is uh, to the degree that my voice does not sound 100%. That is after a uh, a Saturday spent yelling at officials at Pinnacle Bank Arena and a Sunday spent belting out Christmas carols around the city with the LNK Today with Jack and Friends Christmas caroling bus. And so uh, doing uh, hopefully we'll hold up for the next three hours. But my apologies for uh, for not sounding 100 percent here this morning. I feel fine. I feel I do feel like I'm one of the only people. Is it just me right now or and I don't even necessarily mean with serious things. Um, you've got that with the influenza and the RSV and, and some COVID that's still lingering, but is it just me or is everybody sick right now? 
Yes. It, it, and, and it's not even all the same thing. It is like everyone I know uh, has either a, a cold or a stomach bug or or something else. Um, it just it feels like it's everywhere right now. So uh, knock on wood, hoping to avoid that. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, we uh, <laughs> uh, feel, feels like it's everywhere right now. By the way, just a quick uh, additional note here on um, traffic. Apparently, about an hour ago, um, not too far from here, uh, you had uh, at South 40th and A Streets, you had a car that caught on fire. Oh, and no. yeah, um, so that's uh, creating a little bit of a difficult situation. So this is South 48th and A Street um, blocking eastbound traffic there. So I guess that would have actually been on on A Street itself. I was actually driving on that earlier. That's, Mark, that's South 40th, not 48th. Uh, did I say? I yep. thought I said 40th. It anyway. did first, but then oh. you switched. It's okay. 40th and 8th yep. eastbound. Uh, it has been put out. Uh, they're in the cleanup stages. Okay, in the cleanup stages there, but still with, with something yep. like that. Yeah, it always. That's, uh, and that's only two lanes there. So, yeah, right. that might be and some. The, and the, the injury lane. accident just took place uh, 200 block of North 48th. Yes, and I heard I heard Bick talking about that one. So um, They pulled that into the parking lot, as I understand now, so it may not be affecting traffic. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, some, uh, yeah, some I, I, that fire in that car must have happened just a little while after. Uh, I, I would have driven right over that spot. That's the way that I get into work here uh, going on A Street. So hopefully everybody's okay there. No report on uh, injuries or exactly. No, scanner had everybody out there. and, and, uh, and getting the car uh, put out. All right, good. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mark. Um, okay, now somebody notified me. That there is a Christmas tradition here on LNK Today with Jack and Friends that we haven't even mentioned this year. And there was some concern that we had forgotten about it. And you can't, I mean, the the one thing about traditions, you can't just let them die, right? <laughs> <laughs> even if people want you to let them die. Because you've got to keep it going. You've got to pass it down from generation to generation. You've got to make sure that people who are, you know, new to the culture, new to your community, are aware of that Christmas tradition. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I've got no choice but to do what I'm about to do. I think it's just the right thing to do here. It is. There may be some of you who disagree uh, because you know what's coming. Uh, there may be some of you who don't know what's coming, and this is something that you'll never forget. Uh, the interesting thing about this is this is the first time that I have, uh, well, this might have happened over a decade ago when I still had Buford, my obese basset hound, but this tradition is known to excite dogs in the uh, in the community as well. And there's some of you who know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And there are some of you who are very confused by this whole thing. Well, let me tell you a little <laughs> bit of a story. The year was 1988. The year was 1988. Young Jack Mitchell was an aspiring trumpet player, had been going to his lessons every day at Holmes Elementary, which I was going to then at the time. Uh, playing in the in in the band there, getting the lessons, getting out of class and doing the lessons, and becoming you know what what some were saying might be the next Louis Armstrong. Uh, 
The text line is blowing up. <laughs> Already? <laughs> they know. They know. What they it. know. <laughs> um, the year was 1988. And uh, my... Uh, my father was a pastor then. We went to uh he was the pastor of a church in town um that was uh that that's still here. Uh they've relocated since then. Uh but that was Hope Reformed Church. And uh, every year we would do like many churches, we would we would have a Christmas program on a Sunday night, usually a, a week or two before Christmas and the Christmas program had two components to it, okay? The the main component was the second part of it, and that was where you had you know the kids do up and do a you know a play musical type thing um, where it was it was choreographed and learned. But the the first part of the show was kind of like the opening act, and it was a chance for all of the kids to showcase their musical prowess on their own. And so if you played an instrument. Uh, if you sang, I assume, and you had you had learned something for school or had, had through your lessons, everybody got to come up and they got to do individual songs first. And I wanted to do it that year, mm-hmm. having played the trumpet and and uh, practiced to to get very good at the trumpet. And one of my my best friends, my my, my best friend at the time, ended up being the best man of my wedding. Uh, went to the church with me as well, and he also was a trumpet player. And so we said, "Wait, why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we knock this church's socks off? <laughs> okay, why don't we blow the roof off? This why thing? don't we make it worth the price of admission, which was free? But why don't we make it worth the price of admission?" And we said, "Listen, not one trumpet, but two trumpets. Okay, and we are going to play." the ultimate Christmas song. We are going to play Silent Night on the trumpet with two-part harmony. And guess what? My mom's a former music teacher, okay? So she can she can do the arrangements. She can do the accompaniment as is necessary. And we are going to... There's not going to be a dry eye in the house, which actually ended up being true, but not for the reason that I thought. And so we practice, we come over to my house, we practice, and we, we, we nail this thing down. And then uh, the night of the performance happens. And I, I uh, always, when I was at school, for those of you who played a brass instrument like a trumpet before, you know that one of the things you, you've got to, you tune it when you start, you know, you start in band, you tune it, and every, they play a note, and everybody plays the note, and they try and get on the same tone. And the way that you get the trumpet to be tuned uh, is that there's a there's a slide. It's almost like what you see on a trombone, but it doesn't move throughout. So you get it in a place when the the length that the air has to travel will determine whether it's on tune or not. And at school that week, I had had a hard time sort of moving my slide. And so you've got to do every once in a while. You got to do something which is essentially greasing it up, so it lubricates it a little bit and and it moves easier. And I was very nervous the night that we were we were having this performance i was worried that my slide wasn't going to move and that when when we were tuning beforehand that i wasn't going to be in in tune and so i went heavy on the grease okay can't can't hold anything back mm-hmm. for christmas program 1988 and uh so i i did that got got the thing in tune and what i didn't realize is that i had put so much grease on that thing that 
it was loose to the point that it was not even going to stay in place. And I didn't have great posture with the trumpet. You know, when you're playing a trumpet, it's supposed to be up at a, a parallel parallel angle or parallel line to the floor. My, my posture wasn't great. And so I had gravity working against me. And what you're about to hear is that 1988 church program at Hope Reformed Church with gravity pulling my slide out in my trumpet as the song progresses. And what resulted has turned into really, some would say, internet gold. Uh, If you Google, this is no joke, if you Google three words on the internet, silent night fail, those three words, it is now the top result on all of Google. It is the very. It is right there. It is number one because it is not only we not only have the audio, but it was on YouTube as well. So, long story for those of you who don't know, but I wanted to explain it because there's some often some mischaracterization about what really happened. This was not because I'm not a good musician. Okay, you'll hear the musicianship. Okay, the problem was again over lubrication on the slide that's the really the only problem so i'm about to play this uh my buddy kurt and me still good friends with kurt um he's in a fantasy football league with me right now he's got a very bad team um but here we are he's playing the high part i'm playing the low part and just take a listen to this christmas gather the kids around probably here with this whole thing you'll want to hear this you want me to play from over here yeah if you want to i've got it here but you can do it yeah that's fine too take a listen here we go Crowd's already excited. Very excited. All right. Sounds good, right? Uh oh. Slide's starting to come out. Did you hear the camera? <laughs> yes, yeah, like the old, yeah, they had to get the film developed after that thing. So there it is, a Christmas tradition unlike any other, the 1988 church program here in Lincoln. This is what I imagine Silent Night would sound like if it were sung by donkeys. <laughs> it's one of your YouTube comments. <laughs> I got 85 likes on it. That's good. Look at the. I've never looked at the YouTube comments on this. Uh, this uh, comment on the YouTube page: not a fail. They finished the piece and did their best. Actually, if they had adjusted their tuning slides, they would have received a standing ovation. There you go. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is hilarious. Here's a comment: Were you drunk in this video? Wow, that is so bad. 
Uh, I've never looked at the YouTube guy. Never look at the comments. Uh, ben says on the Rick Stein recognition talking text line, the rule in my house is we don't put up the Christmas tree until Jack Mitchell plays the Silent Night <laughs> I'm family. sorry that I waited. So- I hope the-, <laughs> the family isn't disappointed that you had to wait so long this year. Uh, asterisk James says, my dog started to howl, <laughs> and my dog's been dead seven years. <laughs> 49 years in dead dog years. Oh, yes, there you go. And you can, you got to have, Caleb, the visual, how would you, you you saw the visual, how much does that enhance, you know, people are just getting the audio here. You held it together way better than your friend, like, you were locked in. Listen, it's a, obviously you could tell my talent for uh, being on, in the spotlight then, very much good. So I would encourage you if you want to, uh, just, go, it's very easy to find, just Google silent night fail. And you can actually watch the video and look what a cute, you know, little eleven-year-old that I was. You did fantastic. Thank you very much. Proud of you. You tried. All right, it's seven twenty-six. It's LNK today with Jack and friends on KLIN. Want today's top news stories? Top Husker stories? You can get them sent straight to your inbox every afternoon. Just sign up for the daily for free at KLIN.com. I am. All right, 739 it is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Every day we uh, take five stories, five things happening either uh, around us in the city, in the community, uh, or beyond that. We, things we think kind of make up a conversation today at the local coffee shops and co-ops and so forth. So without any further ado, let's get it started with... Number five. Two days, two hours, and 20 minutes from now, the South Beltway will be officially opened by the governor, the mayor, and other dignitaries. 11 mile stretch, uh, Highway 2. Putting up, well, uh, you know, it's been about two and a half years in the making. Yeah. Here it, we go. So, okay, so what, what can I do? So, when can I drive on it exactly after the show on Wednesday? It happens, oh, probably uh, about 10 30, 11, okay. my guess would be. Okay. All right. We'll leave here and start lining up. All right. So the. There's a couple of interchanges that aren't going to be open until next year. So to get on, you got to get on either at 68th or 120th, right? Or 77, Highway 77. Or 77 on the other side of town. Yeah. yeah. So those are the only places, but that's good. You know, I'm. Uh, the, I mean, the only problem with 70th is that the 68th one is normally you could just zip down 70th and get on it, but 70th is closed uh, as it gets close to the South Beltway around Standing Bear. So if you're thinking about getting on it there and trying it out, uh, you probably need to go take... 40th is also closed, by the way. Is it? Yep. All right. So you probably might need to get on 84th or 56th and take it out there and then bump up to that 68th interchange or... Or go the other direction. If you're on 14th or 27th, probably better to go uh, go west and then uh, go south on the Beltway. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I, th- I think I'll probably go there. On, are you going to go out there on Wednesday and try or, on try it out, Mark? Well, maybe. Yeah, I think I'm I've been over uh, on the west end and, and been through the Spaghetti Junction out there, uh, where Saltillo crosses 77, and you got roundabout into roundabout into roundabout. Uh, and so you got. I haven't been. You, you yeah. got to. You got to pay attention to the signs there. I have not uh, since they've since they've done that. I've not been been out there. So it'll be interesting to to see the whole thing and what it's like and the way that it might be. I'm continuing to try and think if there are, if there are routes or places that I would go where I would make use of it. Um, well, it'll certainly ease your trip to Beatrice. 
Yeah, that's for sure. I was thinking more like in town driving. Like if you lived, if you lived in, like we're going to Beatrice for Christmas. Oh, there you go. Yeah, jump on it there. But to get on seventy-seven. But like I was thinking, okay, like say you live at I don't know um, in the in the extreme southeast part of town, right? Let's say let's say you live near uh, like. Highway two, Highway two and eighty fourth. All right, maybe or maybe pro- so. It would probably be a little north of there. There's some residential areas over yep. there. That's right where I am. Yeah, if if you needed to get to so Mark, hypothetically, let's say you you need to get to I don't know twenty seventh and and Pine Lake Road. You wouldn't go to the South Beltway no. and do that, would no. you? The whole idea there is to reduce the traffic on Nebraska Parkway. Okay, that's, so you would. That's still, the whole goal. Just, so there's not. I mean. You're not really, and this may be very obvious, but you're not probably using it for no, we're, much in-city driving. No, you, you would use it if you're, you know, in Southwest Lincoln and South Central Lincoln, and headed to like Kansas City or Nebraska City or right. Falls City, right? Uh, or you're coming home, you'll probably swing around on the Beltway, especially like, if you're in West Lincoln. I mean, the only reason I say that is because, like, there are actually times that, like, I'll get on 77 if I'm going south to north in Lincoln sometimes. Like, there are certain trips where that makes sense. <laughs> so you're, so now you're emulating John Bishop. If you're far, like, yeah, well, like, if you're far southwest and you want to get to downtown, oh, that, yeah. that's something that I would consider doing. Sure. Or jump uh, on 77 up to yeah. Rosa Parks yep. or West yeah. O. And- yeah. I don't know if it's the smartest thing, but I've done it before. All right, moving on. Number four. Ann Ashford, an attorney who ran unsuccessfully for the House of Representatives in 2020, is applying for the U.S. Senate seat. Going to be vacated next month by Ben Sass. She's a Democrat, the widow of former U.S. Rep. uh, Brad Ashford. She said she would put constituents over party every time. She said Friday show Pellin would be broad-minded enough to consider qualifications over party affiliation. Best of luck. Nebraska Examiner's got the details there. Best of luck. I want to know. Every, I want to know how many uh, how many nominations Pillen has to choose from in this whole thing. I don't know. Uh, and uh, yeah. Well, we know it have at least two. I wondered if any Democrats would even would even bother trying. But I guess you well, you know. Yeah, they're going to make a campaign you, issue. Out you there. can't. Yeah, that's that's probably that's probably true. Um, but yeah. No, uh, I think the uh, I think everyone would be more than shocked if it was not uh, Pete Ricketts that was named to that spot. I think everybody would like that's fully the expectation right now, and I don't think I'm in, even informing any of one of that here at this point. So, I mean, you've already got. I mean, Mark, you've already got like congressional leadership, like the McConnells of the world, uh, talking about how they wanted Lindsey to be. Graham him. So, yeah, about it. yeah, yeah, right when it happened. All right, moving on. Number three. University of Nebraska-Lincoln, the Bureau of Business Research uh, in the College of Business, released a three-year forecast Friday. Uh, Dr. Eric Thompson is the chair of that department and director of the Bureau. And he's forecasting, or the report is forecasting, that we probably in Nebraska are going to be in a recession in 2023. uh, Probably um, later in the year rather than earlier in the year, but then back to more normal in 2024 and back to normal in 2025. The complete report is posted at KLIN.com. A lot of interesting reading in there. Uh, The one that uh, surprised me, and I talked to Dr. Thompson on uh, Friday about it, 
was they are looking at employment numbers dropping next year. Well, that's typically what comes along with the. That's always been the weird thing about this economic yes. potential, like downturn that people are anticipating, is that unemployment has still been so low. Typically, you'd have high unemployment that comes along with a yeah. an oncoming recession, and so far that hasn't been the right. case locally or nationally for the most part. No, and and the unemployment drop next year over the course of the year is expected at two tenths of a percent. Okay. So not a huge drop. The manufacturing, especially food products and food manufacturing and all the related stuff, which is a large part of uh, the manufacturing in the state, is expected to remain fairly are, strong. Are you hearing, and the answer may be that you're not hearing this, I'm putting you on the spot, but are, are you hearing anything um, about if if companies across the sectors are having more success in finding people to no. work? No, it's it's still, still kind of the same very, situation. Yeah, the the workforce. Like that's the that's the weird thing about this this current economic situation. Part of it, at least according to the people that I've talked to, is that there was so much money that went into pockets and into savings accounts during the pandemic with government payments, and for, especially for those people that uh, did keep working. But people really, really and people cut not back. spending as much. Yeah, money. They, yeah. They cut back. And so there's still a, a, a cushion of money in many people's situation that they don't necessarily yeah. have to work. So so the interesting question is, when does the Fed start saying, okay, we've tamped down inflation enough that we don't have to keep raising these interest rates? Because that's always been the worry, is you're fighting against inflation by pushing up the interest rates. That's what yeah. could lead you into a recession. Well, and yes, and the housing market is really getting hit already. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we've had one of the most wild booming housing markets yeah uh in <laughs> ever yeah, we talked about it yeah and, a lot. and now uh, i mean price drops uh the uh, time on on market getting longer and longer so uh interest rates a, a huge issue especially in that housing market and it'll it'll go over into the credit cards and auto loans too you know what i read about last week mark lumber is at like a remember how high the like building right. materials i built I built my deck right, uh, right. during the uh, well. You helped around the pan. Yeah, that's build. right. Actually, my buddy Jamie built my deck, but <laughs> yeah. but we were pricing it out, and we were that was right at the peak, uh, like a year and a half ago, of when lumber prices were so ridiculous that it was. I mean, it was to the point that we did it with composite, that it was almost cheaper to do it with composite at that point. Yep. Than that, which is typically way more expensive. Then, then the, I mean, that's how expensive the lumber was building this whole thing. But that's dropped significantly. I mean, I'm, I knew people who were building houses at that time. They couldn't even get they couldn't get the materials to do right. it right. Uh, during that. That was a combination of just supply supply chain supply chain issues. And, and price and, and right. shortages. And, and that's that's the other part. You know, our supply chain issues could get a lot worse here as we go into the uh, the first part of. I will tell you this though. On a positive note, I uh, I filled up on gas at a place that's usually not that cheap, pretty expensive here in town. Uh, I believe it's three oh nine, three oh nine. So we how, are. Uh, how are you dealing with the chicken prices at the, the grocery chi- store? Just hitting the sales is what I'm doing. Because over the weekend we were deciding what we wanted for one of the meals. Saw the price of chicken. Oh, like chicken breast. Yeah. Yeah. We bought steak instead for our meal. I'm telling you, man, some of it when it. I mean, we had steak and potatoes because it was cheaper than getting the chicken. When, yeah, I mean, when you get to a point 
uh, you're talking six dollars a pound that, for that, that chicken. Is, that whole situation been exacerbated by the avian influenza this year. I mean, yeah, yeah right. Mean, there, there's a lot of factors that go yeah. into it, but but still, yeah. if I'm oh, at, yeah. if I'm at the store and I can go, well. Guess I can talk her into getting steak because it's cheaper. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like there's a spot you're like, okay, there, we're not. Why would we do chicken breast if we're saving maybe a dollar and a pound than a slightly cheaper cut of steak here? The other weird thing about the chicken prices is that one day you'll go in and it'll be like legit, like five, six dollars a pound, and then all of a sudden next day you go in and they'll have a sale and it's uh, two fifty a pound. Mm-hmm. Like it will range. All over the place, and that's what, that's supply chain. Yeah, is that's that affecting that? Yeah. yeah, it just yeah, you're right. Or they'll, and they'll package it in huge like bit like way bigger packages than they normally do. Sometimes, other times it'll be smaller packages. I really noticed that at the grocery store. All right, moving on. Number two, Husker men's basketball almost had a second top ten win in a week. Almost, Huskers pushed number four Purdue to the wire. Ultimately fell in overtime, 65-62. Oh, man. I am. I, I said before this game, I said, look, if they can, you know, I'm mainly, I, I'm, I'm particularly interested about whether or not they can hang against a team that's as offensively efficient as Purdue with such a dominant big man. And if you are at that game, man, 7-4, playing against a 7-4 guy looks miserable. Yeah. I mean, it just looks miserable. Well, and, you hear 7-4 and you try to picture that. And then you see seven four against like, in person. Yeah, we you, were both see, at the game, and you, it was you like you see it in person against Nebraska's players. You see it against like six nine Derek Walker. Right. If Derek Walker walked into this room right now, he would look like a giant. He's dwarfing me. He's just dwarfing you, and you're a you're a tall guy. I'm you're six, a big three. guy. Yeah, you're a tall guy. You're a big guy. He looked like a munchkin next to this dude. He didn't even jump at the opening tip. It was, yeah, <laughs> like mo- most try. of PBA, like you heard some chuckles. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I said if they could, and they did. They hung tight, and one could argue that if the officiating were better, that would have been a different outcome. I mean, I think it's not a real stretch to no. There, say there were that, but nonetheless, the, the both sides of that is there. There were a number of calls that should have been done differently. That aside, Nebraska also had opportunities itself to take care of the game. Yeah, make your free throws. I mean, make your free throws. Make your just so many possessions. They had where, a possession where they had five shots. They had so, they had so many shots down the stretch where it was like the roof is going to absolutely come off this place if this shot goes in, and it just it, it well other than Casey's three at the end of uh, to, to a regulation, which was one of the better moments ever at PBA. If they could have they could have won that thing, it would have been blast. But Bottom line is, it's hard to th- not to think about what could have been with getting that win. Getting If you had actually done that, got two top ten wins over the course of a week, and just the absurd shift <laughs> that that would be about the way that you thought about this season. But that aside, uh, I think a lot of people are, are looking forward to this season and this team a whole lot more than they thought they were coming into the year. And that's, yeah. that's good. If you can hang with Purdue that game, there's no reason to think you. there's nobody in the Big Ten that you, you can't hang with if you play well. Well, the way Nebraska played over the course of that week, and yeah, they had a top 25 loss in the middle of the week, but you didn't have Sam Griesel. Um, when you're playing with that, that lineup, that's really six deep, and then you get spot minutes from some guys. Yep. Yeah. It's a top 40 team. Yeah. It's a, it's a top 40 team that's going to push these top Big. 25 teams that they're going to see. 
big game in Kansas State, uh, in Kansas City against Kansas State Saturday night. They got some time off with finals going yep. coming up now, but uh, yeah, Saturday night play Kansas State, who's only got one loss this year. That could be a big resume booster. Then you get the Queens College game before you get into Big Ten play, and guess what happens? Your first Big Ten game uh, after that after that break is the Hawkeyes coming to uh-huh. Lincoln. Whew. Yeah. This is gonna. This is a scary yeah, team excited. for team for for opponents this year. Yeah, I'm. Was uh, the big uh, uh, football deal uh, during the game too? Matt Rule, yeah, yeah Matt, Matt Rule at halftime, and man, gave he, another good speech. He, get him in front of people more. Yeah, uh, and he he basically wrapped it up, and he said, "When I was, you know, I was a kid. I knew I was seven, eight, nine years old. I knew who Nebraska was. They were this level of excellence." And he was like, "When I saw that N." I knew that they were the best of the best of the yeah, best. Best of the best of the best. And he said, uh, I'm going to make sure the seven, eight, and nine year olds here in Lincoln know that now. And across the country, that they see good. that too. Yeah, that was, it was good. He's good. It's enjoyable. Oops. Number one. Bring the bump, bumper music down. Okay. And you went. Last night was the uh, second annual bus caroling trip for LNK Today with Jack and Friends. Took about 30 listeners, friends of the show, etc. around town. Uh, caused a little healthy holiday chaos in some places. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, drew some crowds, got some people pulling out their phones and taking pictures, but it was always fun. Next year, uh, I would recommend you, you be a part of this if you like you like that kind of thing at all no matter how great of a voice that you've got or don't have but had a lot of fun with all the people there um thanks to windstar uh for supplying us if you saw a big bus parked somewhere random yesterday afternoon early evening that was probably us sorry if we blocked your traffic situation but it was worth it all right 756 we'll take a break it's lnk today with jack and friends on lincoln's news to talk 1499 3 klim you're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. And just got an additional traffic report. Apparently, a Fender Benner North 84th and A, northbound 84th and A. Uh, looks like there's a multi-car Fender Bender, so another area that you might want to avoid. Hey, real quick, uh, request line Friday. It's not too early to be thinking about that. Uh, we're going to do Christmas songs that bring the nostalgia of your childhood Christmases. If there's one quintessential Christmas song that brings you back to those childhood Christmases with all of the wonder and awe, we'd like to hear what that is. That's what we're going to do, your childhood Christmas songs. So text those in as soon as you want to for Request Line Friday this week. 8 o'clock, KLI and Lincoln. Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O, morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, 35 degrees in the capital city. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you with us on this Monday morning, December 12th, 2022. It's going to be yeah. It's going to be a weird day weather-wise tomorrow. Just hearing that forecast with highs in the uh, in the fifties, <laughs> uh, but potential some pretty decent rain showers that are going along with it. That uh, we've just 
you know, it's interesting. We've been so short on precipitation and rain second half of the summer and, and into the fall. And uh, we'll see if that turns around here with the spring. A little bit of a mist out there still here in the capital city. Nothing actually showing up on on radar. But like we heard, uh, looks like that is going to be something that's more significant later today and then into uh, into tomorrow. But uh, kind of weird weather right now. Uh, wanted to uh, wanted to, to touch on this uh, here with uh, we we you know usually spend a little bit of time on Mondays talking about the weekend that was in in Husker sports uh, and basketball was front and center this weekend after unfortunately volleyball was eliminated uh, but Nebraska basketball uh, for the second straight top ten opponent uh, takes that opponent to the wire in the case of Creighton obviously winning uh, and then the Purdue game into overtime just a i mean pinnacle bank arena felt differently than it has in maybe probably since the hoiberg era uh started here just the terms of uh in terms of the energy and the feel of the game um it was nice to kind of have that feeling back you know last mm-hmm. year was a rough year the year before that was the COVID year so nobody was there um and then you know you had Hoiberg's first year prior to that so well in the, in the during the covid year you had that game where you took Illinois to the wire yeah at the time and i believe they were a top 10 team right um but there was nobody there right yeah so it just it had been it it felt like a little bit of a throwback in terms of the atmosphere there and and that was good um you know Caleb it's interesting because Fred Hoiberg came into this we talked to him a week ago at this time uh but he came into this season obviously admittedly i think he knows with a, a lot of pressure on him to um to turn things around this mm-hmm. year or there was going to be a hard look at at his job much like there was in the football program uh how far do you think just this last week has gone in really kind of cooling off that hot seat that he might have been on? I think pretty significantly. Think the, so? because, because Can you do that in a week? <laughs> I mean, it would depend on the teams you're playing and how you looked, but that's what happened. And, and what, what Fred Hoiberg has shown with this team so far this year is a willingness to change a little bit of the offensive philosophy. Now, they're still going to be very dependent on a lot of threes. They happened to get ahead of Creighton, and they didn't have to. They got behind Purdue and did have to start bombing a little bit in the second half. They were down 14 to one of the best offenses in the country. But you also took away Purdue's offense because of that a little bit of that philosophy change, and that is absolute effort on the defensive end. Guys crashing the boards. They're not getting destroyed um, by teams grabbing 20 offensive boards a night. No, the rebounding is night and day different than what it was last year. That, that includes seven foot four Zach Eady yeah. patrolling the paint for Purdue on Saturday. So you go through and you have the, the team effort that's there defensively. Sometimes it looks like a scramble. Sometimes it looks like there are guys just sprinting everywhere because somebody helped here, and now he's got to help at the top. Next guy's got to help on the wing, and then he's got to help on the corner. But guys are doing that, and they're disrupting the shots enough, and and it just looked really good, obviously, against Creighton, what they were able to do. Um, I'm able to forgive what happened last Wednesday because you didn't have Sam Greasel, so the team's out of its rotation and out of its main ball handler. Um, But then you come back home, and you've got number four team in the country. And although they did get behind, they didn't have their first lead of the game until overtime. 
Yeah. Like, which, which is insane to say for a game that yeah. goes to overtime. They never led in regulation, mm-hmm. um, but they never went away. There was never a just going, all right, well, we're down far enough and there's just not enough time. The defense stayed there, and you, you saw that guys were constantly, even when it was the time that they needed to be fouling, they were going for the steal. They were saying, let's try to make the most out of every one of these situations possible. Um, they almost got it, bar, barring a, a pretty quick whistle on one of those at, at half court. But you had guys that were still looking for open shots and not afraid of the moment to go take yeah. some of those shots. There's just such a different feel about this team, and I think that's Fred Hoiberg trying to identify where he has as a, is as a collegiate coach in Lincoln, Nebraska, where college basketball is that's different than where he was when he was in Ames, Iowa. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, Caleb, because he came in and what what did everybody talk about in terms of of the style, right? Go get the transfers and just fire threes. Fast pace, fire threes. Don't take mid range shots. Even if you're going to take a, <laughs> if you're going to take a shot, make it make it be a three and push the pace throughout the course of the game. It's pretty remarkable because in the time he's here, he is now at least this year, he has changed the identity. That what is the identity of this team now? It is a it is a it's kind of like a football team with a really unique aggressive defensive scheme mm-hmm. from the defensive coordinator that's what he's done is is just the the way i would define the uh, identity of this team is about defensive scheming and defensive effort right now yeah is a hundred percent just the exact opposite of what <laughs> you know what we thought when he came in and, and sort of what his reputation was mm-hmm. as a coach and so to completely flip that and actually have it work and have the personnel to make it work well enough is is kind of amazing i mean i did not i i absolutely did not see this coming uh, with his team now. So there, there are a couple things about this team. What have we talked about over the first couple of years with the Fred Hoiberg team, and especially last year, where you had really high-profile names? You had a five-star it looked recruit. like they didn't play as a team. Well, they, yeah. they didn't play as a team, but it was you contrasted that with how much everyone was able to gravitate towards the women's team. You know, because there were things that you could identify yeah. with. With this team, you're able to identify with, you've had Derek Walker here for a few years, and you see how he plays undersized against a lot of the league's bigs. You've had Keisei Tomonaga, who just everyone loves because of his energy on the floor. You have a hometown kid now back with mm-hmm. Sam Greasel. You have some of the other guys. C.J. Wilcher is back. So yeah. there are names that you're able to recognize. It doesn't feel like a bunch of mercenaries. No, yeah. but then the guys that are new... Juwan Gary, Emmanuel Bandamel, you see absolute effort at all times yeah. on the defensive end. Now, there are some times that you're like, maybe you shouldn't have taken that shot, but everyone's going to do that. But I think Nebraskans as a whole and Nebraska fans are able to identify with this team so much more because you know some of the guys, because there's yeah, someone who's point. local, because of the effort you're able to and see. And all, you, you didn't always see that the first couple of years under Hoiberg. And they all have such a different role. The, you know, they're, they're, it, 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 everybody's role felt like it was kind of the same sometimes. And you had, you had five people that were kind of hanging out around the three-point mm-hmm. line and waiting, waiting to bomb away with this thing. Yeah, you're, the way you described it is exactly right. You've got, you've got Walker, who's undersized as a, a big man, uh, but somehow... 
can make layups against, I don't care if you're nine foot tall, he can somehow still get a layup for you. I, I, I don't know how he does it. On the court, it. he has a protractor, and he I've is measuring ne- angles. I've never seen anything like it the way that, that he could do that. I think he got fouled on some of them, too, and they, they didn't call him. Um, but he, he does that, so that's his thing. You mentioned Greasel. And with him, it's like all of a sudden he gets a gear in in the second half of games. He did it against Creighton, and he did it against Purdue, where he's just going on straight adrenaline. And, I mean, you saw when he tried to dunk over a 7-3 guy, he had that. But he had plenty of plays like that. And just the, I mean, it had a play where he dove for a ball that was a huge key there. Mm-hmm. Um and he's he's just kind of that that heart and soul of this thing you mentioned Tominaga. I mean, what do you have to say? There's nothing, you know. He's he sometimes isn't getting his own shot, but sometimes it doesn't even matter. He made two threes in that game where I couldn't have been close more closely guarded. That place got loud. It was uh, it was crazy. And he had then, a four point play, and then a couple possessions later, uh, defensively, they get the ball out to him, and I. I immediately I go, he's going to shoot this. Mm-hmm. Hits the three in transition. Purdue has to call timeout. It's mm-hmm. a 10-0 run for Nebraska to cut it to four points, and you're like, this place is electric. Yeah, he is. I mean, he could not be more fun to watch. Uh, and then Banamel is just, I mean, he's he was just going to annoy Purdue the entire game, and it was it was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, just closely guarding their guy coming up the court every time, um, and then and then uh, drawing a foul on defense, throwing the bones afterwards. Yeah, uh, that was great. He's incredibly likable, and then just Gary. I mean. Gary is the guy that so many Nebraska teams have not had, which is a dude who looks like you know he he, he plays plays basketball like he's playing football, sort of. And he use he's not the hugest guy in the world, mm-hmm. but man, try and out rebound him, and it's tough. He will get so many rebounds, absolute effort absolute, to go after that yeah, ball. Yes, um, and so that that combination of guys with the role players, you're right. You've got you've got just. You've got a group of guys who don't feel like mercenaries, who feel like they're really... You've got the parts for a team Mm -hmm. instead of just disparate talent that has been brought in for just a little bit. And that's the other big thing that feels differently this year. Um, You just hope... You hope for their sake. Of course, the Big Ten is going to be a... It's going to be tough. Um, And you want them to be able to be in the conversation. I mean, let's... Let's be honest. You want to be in a conversation for postseason play of some sort. Mm-hmm. So you got to be talking about getting over 500 for starters for that. That's yeah. that's really the where that begins. Um, and I think if you get to 500 in the Big Ten, yeah. Well, you're pro- you're going to be over 500 non-con. So if you're yeah, if you're at 500 in the Big Ten, that's postseason. That's some sort of postseason well, play. 500 in the Big Ten, and you had a top 10 win at their place. You took a number number four team. We'll see where Purdue is at the end of the year. They're probably still going to be top ten, top fifteen at least. Mm-hmm. And those, the way you played, looks really good to the yeah. committee. I think I, I just if they can keep something like this up, those tickets, Pinnacle Bank, that place is going to fill up again. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna feel different again there. Um, and and that's exciting. That's very cool because it's something that I missed. Uh, real quick, I wanted to uh, ask you uh, on another thing. Um, Nebraska football season's ending. I saw Ani Evans enter the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. What does that say to you about you know what she must see in terms of the future of that position? Because she was, 
you know, it, it was Hames and I mean, I understand they played Kennedy Order some, but she was kind of the number two mm-hmm. along with Hames. So. Well, uh, part of it is she's graduating, so she can go be a grad transfer somewhere. I'll, I mean, she would have got a one free transfer, but mm-hmm. uh, part of this is academic. Part of this is that Nebraska does not have the the uh, graduate program that she wants to pursue. So okay. right there, you, you see just how cerebral Nebraska setters always mm-hmm. are. They're always thinking kind of that next step. For Nicklin Hames, it was she wanted to come back and she would play a different position but wants to go into coaching. Mm-hmm. For Ani Evans, it's she's pursuing something outside of volleyball academically. So she's going to go somewhere else. And I think the other part of that might be the writing on the wall. Can Kennedy Orr continue to improve over the next year? The biggest part of it, Bergen Riley coming in. That setter who's coming in, who has played with the U.S. national team. Mm-hmm. Not the under-18, not the under-20. Mm-hmm. She has played with the senior national team as a setter coming in. That's going to be the real deal. I would expect her to to push, if not take, the setter role as a true freshman coming in. So part, some of it might be writing on the wall and what playing time is going to be. I think the other part of it is... Um, Ani just recognizing where she's at academically and what that future is. What do you, do you we're we're going to see Texas in the final four here um and you know how much they relied on the transfer market because you know a third of it was from Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. But they they relied on a big time. Is that do you think that's something Nebraska, Nebraska got Caitlin Horde, they went in and got Lexi Sun a couple of years ago. Think that's something? Is there a place for that this coming year to get a boost? There, there might be, and it might be a middle blocker. Even though I really like you, like what you have with Becca Alec, but do you have a number two? Is Maggie Mendelson that that person to develop for next year? Oregon, who had a middle blocker play really well against Nebraska, sophomore, two years left in the portal. Interesting. There are there are going to be a number of really really good players out there. I think if you go pick somebody up, it is going to be a middle. Um, I wonder if you look and see if you need to pick up another defensive specialist. Can Maisie yeah. Boziger um, step into that role a little bit? She's only five foot four, but she got used a lot as a as a serving specialist. Mm-hmm. Is there a next step that goes there? Yeah. Are there any underclassmen that step I up? I bet or- they'll bring somebody in somewhere. I, I don't know. I just have a feeling about it. Maddie's not back, but you get her younger sister. That's true. Yep. All right, so there you go. Some of the things happen. Uh, Caleb's insight on the Husker sports world. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, Caleb's got sports. Got Dirk Chatlin coming up in 10 minutes on KLIN. Sign up for the daily at KLIN.com to get today's top local and Husker news sent straight to your email. He's a five-time Nebraska Sports Writer of the Year. He asks the tough questions. But most importantly, he occasionally retweets Jack Mitchell. It's the Omaha World Herald's Dirk Chatelain. Yes, Dirk, you can read him in the uh, in the Omaha World Herald. He joins us every Monday at 8.35 to talk uh, Husker sports and beyond. Morning, Dirk. How are you doing today? Jack, it occurs to me that I haven't retweeted you for a while, which means either you're getting less entertaining <laughs> or perhaps we're losing sync with each other a little bit. Actually, uh, I think you did one a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of took me by surprise. Okay, um, okay. because you know, I'd obviously, I owe most of my career to those retweets, and when things slow down like that, you begin to wonder about your own future. So my uh, my fights with Bo Pelini at press conferences are are equivalent to your retweets from from me. Is that what you're pretty saying? Pretty much, but, pretty okay. much. It's what we both staked our careers on those <laughs> moments, and they're very fleeting now. It's those were from a those were from a previous era. We're ha- era we're has-beens now, which is is uh, is very disappointing. 
Yeah, um, in, in, in more ways than one, Jack. More ways than one. Uh, if my voice gives out during this game, it was because I was yelling at officials on Saturday. Uh, that is so funny you said that. I was just going to apologize for not having a voice, too. Mine was due to coaching seventh grade basketball. Oh. So we're, we're sort of in a similar position there. Okay, so you're a, you're a, I've noticed in, in coaching youth basketball there are two types of coaches. Um, and I am I am the type of coach, maybe it sounds like, like you might be, I have a constant verbal dialogue going throughout the entire game. Uh, I do yep. not stop talking during the game, coaching verbally. I, I, I some of my friend, I've got friends who are like high level high school coaches, and I'll watch them coach, and they don't say a word during the entire game until you get to a timeout, and then they talk a little bit. I don't know how they do that. So you must be a talker, just like me. So. It's so funny because my brother coaches in Lincoln, and he he also coaches youth basketball, and he, he doesn't say a word. I mean, he doesn't say a word. And <laughs> so, I don't know how they do that. <laughs> I'm the guy who's constantly yelling. Uh, uh, I mean, Jack, we just make we're so poorly coached that we make so many mistakes that the only way to make up for the for the bad coaching is to yell even more at the players. So so that's who I am. Uh, I did have a funny moment on Saturday night where. After a particularly terrible call, and did you did you know, Jack, that bad calls matter? Yeah, I, we should remember that bad calls matter. I've heard that. Yes, uh, uh, I I just looked at an official, and he accused me of intimidating him. He <laughs> said, I said I said I, he he threatened me with a technical, and I said I didn't say anything. He said you looked at me, you just tried to intimidate me, and I said, sir, I can't intimidate anybody. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, no offense, but yeah, you know. I mean, you, I, you're, you, don't, you don't strike me as an intimidating okay, Jack, person. Okay, made the point. You don't have to. <laughs> no offense, have to. but yeah. Anyway, um, so. all right. Well, I hope hope that went well. Uh, is, is there any? If there is anything such as as moral victories, um, was this the closest possible thing to a moral victory for Nebraska basketball on Saturday against Purdue? Well. You know, we we got to be careful with this stuff. So, so I think if if Nebraska basketball could provide that level of entertainment uh, every time it goes out, uh, I think if they could play, you know, with that much intensity, if they could, you know, if they could stir that much pride in the fan base, uh, you you'd take it every time. You'd sign up. You'd say, let's go, let's go. Uh, but man, Jack, it reminds me a little bit of like the of like some of the football games, you know, Nebraska at Ohio state 2018 and, you know, just certain moments where it's like, I realized that felt good because you weren't supposed to be that close. But when you get a game <laughs> that, that against a team that good, uh, when you have that many chances, uh, you got it, you got to close the deal. And so I'm really torn on it. I, I think, I think it was a positive sign for the Huskers, you know, as a program, but, in terms of like turning the season around, uh, that that would have been a really big one. Oh. Uh, it would have been I, jerk. I mean, I hate to do the what could have been thing, but like that puts your. I mean, look, you got a whole conference season left, but you've got as good a resume against top ten teams as as anybody, basically. Yeah, if you do that, yeah, it certainly was probably worth probably two losses. You know, it probably would have wiped out the. The Oklahoma and Memphis losses, or the yeah. St. John's, Oklahoma. You know, it's it was worth two games, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just you know, the program is is still, I think, sort of trying to find 
find credibility, find confidence. And if you pull that one out on Saturday, you know, it's a huge step in both directions. So uh, it it hurts. And and Nebraska is not going to have a ton of opportunities as big as that one. It's sort of an odd time of year to have all these huge games. You know, you're usually waiting for these things in like February. Yeah. Uh, and Nebraska has them in the first week of December. So, yeah. uh, big big picture, I think it's a positive sign. But boy, Jack, uh, I did not, I did not walk away from Saturday telling myself, you know, this was a positive result because when you when you just when you're that close, you 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 want to win the game. Yeah. Uh. Um, now I'm sad again. Um, the 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 thing that I wonder is it looks just when in the Creighton game and and the Purdue game as well. Man, it looks tiring to watch what they're doing on the defensive end. It looks exhausting the way that they do it, and they pulled it off so well with the communication and the doubling and the scheme and everything else. Like my biggest worry is like. Man, can you keep that up? Can you keep that pace up for an entire season in the Big yeah, Ten? They, they need some depth. I mean, they need to develop some guys. They need to find a way to to play some of those starters, you know, 28 minutes instead of 34, 36. Um, you're right, Jack. I mean, you you looked at the opening couple minutes on Saturday, and they're trying to guard a 7-foot-4 guy, and it's it's sort of like harkens back to, you know, the youth basketball days where one kid has hit puberty and, and everybody else on the floor hasn't. And it's like poor Derek Walker, he's like up to the guy's armpits. But but Nebraska, you know, they just they frustrated Purdue. I mean they they swarmed, mm-hmm. they doubled. Uh Edie was, you know, frankly looked quite bad at times. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and I think, you know, that's a credit to Nebraska's defensive plan and their execution. Uh, I just think when you play that hard, first of all, it becomes an identity. It becomes sustainable. Uh, you can you can win at home. You can win on the road. Uh, it it it's the type of of quality that that travels well and is is consistent. But as you noted, Jack, I mean, I think you need you need some positive reinforcement. You know, when you play that hard, you've got to win. You got to win games. Mm-hmm. Not every game, but you got to win some games because. Uh, you're just expending so much energy that I think it requires some positive reinforcement yeah. along the way. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and uh, you know, they got they got that big one a week ago. I think they can still go off the fumes of that, but sure. they are going to no, need yeah. this is, they're going to need this more. This isn't the same as a year ago, where you know, where they for the last three years, where it felt like they would go months at a time without a win. But the difference in this case is they're you know they're trying to win games with defense, yeah, uh, as opposed to offense. And I think it's it's pretty easy to show up offensively uh it's it's not as easy to show up defensively every night i dirk i know this is obvious at, at this point and the, the talking point is that the identity has changed but like it still shocks me that hoiberg did and was able to do what he did i mean this is like i don't know pick your favorite if you want to make a football analogy of which it feels like we have to do here is like pick your favorite like uh um, you, you know, flamboyant offensive coordinator in terms of scheme. I like, take Steve Spurrier or something, and 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 then just decide to to have him switch, you know, focus sides of the ball, and 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 you know, turn him into Buddy Ryan for a year or something. Like I can't. It, it's just I can't believe that kind of a shift that he did it. That he was able to do it with the personnel, and then and then on top of that, Dirk. The fact that you went from, like, just the complete, it felt like you had mercenaries out there, 
that were out there to you know they were all kind of doing the same thing trying to get their you know get their shots get their do all of those things too what feels now is like you've got seven guys not deep but you've got seven guys who have each such a niche role within that thing and such a defined role so different than what they've done the years before like i still i can't believe he's pulled this off and that it's at least working to some degree so far the level of change is so different it's it's different because it happened within the same coaching staff but it reminds me of we always draw this back to football it's it's our flaw as a as the yes. local media fan base but it reminds me of uh just that dramatic shift from about 2007 to the middle of 2009 where where you went from the end of the Callahan era where Nebraska was giving up, you know, 76 points at Kansas mm-hmm. and, two, and two years later, you know, Bo Pelini is, is running out the best defense in the country and you're just like, what the hell happened here? Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and it's, it's a little bit simpler in basketball because there's obviously fewer parts, but uh, Nebraska, they essentially just traded three, you know, it was a three for three swap, you know, the McGowan's brothers and Burge for, for Griezel, Bandamel, and Gary, and uh, uh, boy, what a what a notable difference <laughs> it makes, just in terms of all the intangible qualities, the length, the the effort level. Uh, you know, we don't have to go down last year's road again, but but I I despised watching that team, and uh, and this Nebraska team just just really makes you sort of stand and applaud even when they lose, just because they played so darn hard, right. And and guys and, and especially Gary and Banamel just really embracing the role that they have. Um I mean Banamel, that I mean, man, I could not love that guy more after that 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 game against Purdue. He relishes that role of of playing defense. And Yeah, he's, he's Nebraska's Patrick Beverly. Yeah, he's in, he's gotta be. I mean, Purdue had to, I think Purdue I think at one point Nebraska to three, I think somebody wanted to punch Banamel from Purdue. And it was it was fantastic. That's the guy you want on your team. Because every, every time someone comes up to court just in their grill the entire time, it was uh, it was something to behold. But uh, You know, Jack, it's gonna be kinda hard. <laughs> you know, Nebraska goes on a run here where where they don't the uh, the schedule sort of relaxes a little bit. You know, first of all, they don't they don't play until Saturday, and yeah. then they they, they kind of have a break from big games over Christmas, and you kind of get into this routine where it's like, hey, big game, big game, big game, let's go, uh, and it kind of gets fun to watch because you know every night is going to be mm-hmm. something different, uh, and this is. You know, Nebraska, they sort of gave fans a little bit of a fix. Uh, and now I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a little disappointing that you don't get to see more big games in the immediate future. Yeah, I, I know. I looked at the schedule. I didn't know, you know, right after that game was over, I looked at the schedule. I was like, all right, what do they have this week? And I'm like, ah, oh, they don't play till Saturday, which is, I think, in part because of finals. Um, but, it, yeah, it feels like you want to get them on the court again to see it. But on the other hand, they're probably pretty exhausted, too. Um, and, and it might do some some good. But that K-State. That K-State game will be a uh, oddly big game for a non-conference game at a neutral site in December uh, for Nebraska. To be able to get that um, and then finish out the non-conference with a uh, with a winning record, a significant winning record, just in the non-con games, will set them up for what will be interesting. And then, and then, by the way, if you're looking ahead on the schedule, first home game uh, in the conference when they get back in between Christmas and New Year's, the Iowa Hawkeyes come in. So, uh, I, I, I will say this, Dirk, um, PBA inside that building felt in a way that has not 
I haven't that that felt like the Miles era inside of PBA, the good times in the Miles era inside of PBA, and it literally, I mean, because last year was a mess. The entire season, you lost the opener. The year before that was the COVID year. The first year was Hoiberg. The year before was Hoiberg's first year. He had a couple of good moments then, but it have, going to a lot of games. It finally felt like that place used to feel, and it hadn't for four or five years. Well, uh, Jack, this goes back to identity, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say that Nebraska always has to play this way, or they always have to muck it up, or, you know, ideally you do have difference-making talent that, you know, is future NBA players that where you can, you know, you you can run out five guys who are who are just better than the other team's five guys, but. In the absence of that, uh, Nebraska's fan base responds, you know, emotionally, viscerally, mm-hmm. to to uh, to an overachiever, to a team that plays as hard as this Nebraska team does. I mean, there's a reason that that there wasn't any atmosphere in the building over the last few years because they just didn't play hard enough. And, yeah. and whether it's whether it's the state's lack of basketball knowledge or you know whatever history tradition, but the thing that really cranks up this fan base is when they see a team that, that is a little bit undermanned, uh, that just frankly plays harder than the other team. And, and, and we saw it a lot during the Miles era. And granted, I realize it gets frustrating sometimes with, with you on scoring droughts and et cetera. But, uh, but the reason that the fan base responds the way it does is because of the way they play. And that's something that Doc and Tim Miles yes. you know, probably did out of necessity. Uh, but but the the result is you had a fan base that kind of fell in love with those teams, and, and I think I think Fred is really going to enjoy that part of it because uh, you know he he hasn't frankly had a lot of positive feedback from the fans, and I think he's I think he will really revel in that if it continues. Dirk, there wasn't a guy on the I mean, listen, I'm pulled for the team, but there wasn't there wasn't a guy for the for on a lot of these Hoiberg teams where you're like, oh yeah, I love that guy. Here's what he brings. He's a player, or, you know, or that guys were there multiple years in a row to kind of get that relationship that yep. it felt like that you would have. Now you've legitimately got six guys, six guys. Not all, a couple of them are newcomers, but you got six guys. Four of them or three of them who have been here a couple of years, but they each have such a different individual thing that you like about them that you can sort of uh, become a fan of them for whether it's Walker and his ability to to just not miss anything even with a seven foot four guy guarding him um you got Gary who tries to rebound which Dirk looking at players try to rebound it's striking watching a basketball team that tries to rebound when you've been watching one that doesn't for so many years or Banamel who's the Anoran guy or Tominaga obviously you know what he brings in terms of being a fascinating player, and then Sam Greasel, the hometown guy who seems to get an adrenaline boost in the second half and turns it up to another level and, and kind of the heart and soul. You've got multiple players. Well, I don't know that you had anybody like that on previous teams. I no. mean, those guys were there. Some of them were there last year, but you got six guys like that this year. No, and, and Jack, just to just to reiterate the point. I mean, you know, Fred's first experiences in the building were, were essentially an empty arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then and then you know, two really really, really bad years uh, where, frankly, Nebraska didn't beat almost anybody. Right. Um, so, and this is a guy who comes from Ames, Iowa, small town, you know, smaller town even, and, and Hilton, Hilton Coliseum, Hilton Magic. Uh, I mean, he's used to being, being sort of the pride of the community. So I think, uh, just to reiterate the point, I, I think he'll really enjoy that 
that part of it if if he can sort of be a source if his team could be a source of pride as a community so you start looking at the roster and you you kind of start thinking okay who could who might be able to get one more year who might be able to stick around uh and then how do you build this thing because the last thing you want to do is have a team that you that you like and and then you got to start over again next yeah. year so uh, that's that's yeah. the big challenge for Hoiberg is, is sort of building continuity with the program. All right, real, last question here, just a little bit that we have. If I throw, I'm get something football wise in. But a lot of people are, are scratching their head a little bit with Matt Rule's staff, just saying there's not just it's just not a lot of experience on the thing, um, coaching in 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 Power Five or even at the college level. You think that's by uh, you think that's by design or by necessity? Um, with Matt Rule, because there's part of me like, oh, could they just not get guys with the experience? But there's also part of me that thinks he kind of likes that, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's by design. Uh, you know, the coordinator positions, there's there's more experience there. Uh, you know, there's Power Five experience mm-hmm. there, so I think that's important. Uh, but but I have a hard time believing that Nebraska with with a six million dollar assistant coaching salary pool, you know, couldn't couldn't compete for some big time assistance if they yeah. wanted it. Uh, I think this is more by design. I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think pe- people here are going to be struck by, by just how much rule is, has a hand in, in, uh, in every position group. Uh, you know, the last few coaches, uh, I would point out, you know, Frost and Polini especially were, were very focused on their side of the ball on, you know, specific mm-hmm. things within their side of the ball. And, uh, you know, Frost, it was quarterbacks. And uh, I think I think Rule's going to be much more of a, you know, sort of a, almost like a high school coach where he's just got his hand in everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so I think I think that's probably part of it. He likes to, he likes to develop young coaches. Uh, I'm a little surprised by some of the hires just because, again, with that much money to, to go recruit and hire assistants, I thought there would be more experience and more age. Right. Uh, but I think the primary concern that I would have is, is just the offensive line situation. It's like, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how that one makes a whole lot of sense. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure what Donovan Rayola could have put on film that, that suggested you know, that there was progress last year. So that's the one that kind of makes me scratch my head. But big picture, I think the, the coordinators, Jack, are the are the two really critical hires, and I think those guys have, have ample experience. All right, Dirk, rest that voice for uh, another tournament next weekend, all right? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right, talk Take to care. you later. Dirk Jalen, Omaha World Herald, 6 or t- uh, 8.57, 6.57 on the West Coast on KLIN.